I'm perfect. I just finished my exam. I'm basically done with uni, well, this semester, and I can be happier. What about you? I'm very good. I was just reading a book. Then I started recording this podcast with you, and I couldn't be happier, man. But that's the spirit. What do you mean you've basically finished uni? Well, I've I'm in my last year. Um, yeah. And I've got one semester left. And for my second semester, I've only got one module. And it's it's a difficult module, but it's only it's just one. Like I only go in one day. Yes, I have to go in maybe one or two other days just to do my dissertation, like the final part. Um, but like I only have one module left in total. Whereas this semester I had four modules and it was quite chaotic. Oh, okay. I actually yeah. I should have asked firstly, how did the exam go? The exam was pretty good, to be fair. Um, fair play to this lecturer. Um, as confusing as his notes were, it actually, it actually worked out to be good because what he does is the way he makes his notes is. I mean, it's understandable why he does it. With the way he makes his lecture notes, is, you don't really understand it if you don't attend his lectures. Like he doesn't put some of the steps, or he doesn't put where some of the values come from. Uh, like there's just a random number there and you're like, well, where did this number come from? And it's like, if you go to the lecture, he'll tell you where, for example. So do you mean, do you mean in terms of like what he uploads online? It's just yeah. his missing parts. Well, yeah. I mean, what a revelation that is that he's given you notes and they're actually helpful. Who would have thought? Well, I mean, every lecturer in my uni, to be fair, they have like questions and examples up online. Uh, for you to revise at home but what I mean is like let's say you're doing like a soil calculation this was what I was doing today it was geotechnical exam so you do these values it's a bunch of set numbers that are given to you and there's a bunch of numbers you're meant to be looking at tables to find or graphs to find uh, some of them like when you go through the example yourself you just see the values written there and you're like okay well based on the previous values I don't understand why this value is there and that's something, for example, he picked from the tables or the graphs, but he doesn't tell you in the notes. Like you have to actually go to his lecture for him to say, oh, this value comes from the graph. Like you have to look at the graph at this section. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit confusing. But one thing he did perfectly, though, was he genuinely put the same questions he did in the example papers, uh, like obviously different values, but the exact same ones pretty much. When you say example papers, do you mean the exam you just did or the practice ones? Yeah, the practice ones. Like there's a lot of practice or mock exams or examples you get from the questions that, yes, that's what you have to work with. But when you actually go and do the exam, they they change it a little bit. I mean, I, I don't think that's something you saw a lot on your course as you didn't probably have a lot of calculations or like, you know, number based questions. Whereas with number based ones or calculation graph ones like, Yes, there's a lot of example questions on it, but in the exam, they try to twist it in a way you've never seen it before. Um, but with this one, it was basically the same ones, just different values. I think it's safe to say, having done a history degree, I did not do any number-based questions. I can confirm that. How do you feel about that, though? How do I feel about that? I feel pretty good about it because I don't <laughs> really like numbers. So it was perfect for me. I just stuck to writing about history. Yeah, well, I mean, now isn't it confirmed that maths and English is mandatory up until 18 now? 
I believe it is. And I think I was having a conversation with someone about this the other week. And I think that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think on a person to person level, obviously people have different preferences about what subjects they like. And they might roll their eyes at going, oh, now I have to do maths up to 18. But I think you've got to look at it perhaps as a bigger picture. Um, yeah. And the skills that you can get with an education to that level of knowledge in maths, I think is very valuable um, as a country as a whole, really, for the population to have those math skills. So, I mean, but then I, I then I ask myself, you know, if I was in their position, would I be happy about it? And probably not. But at the same time, I think I would have recognized that if I had developed my math skills beyond 16 to 18, um, it would probably would have been beneficial to me on the whole. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, one thing I like to say is I know people from Iran. They're pretty good with numbers. Um, and if you remember, when I first joined, we were in the same maths class back in secondary school. Um like that was my favorite subject. Now the reason I say this is because I don't know why they do it like that over there, but the maths you learn in secondary school over there is what you learn when you do your masters in maths in here. It's, really? So it's you're, so intense. You're like miles ahead, your streets ahead yeah. over there in terms of when, maths. When I was like seven, eight, I was doing what I did in year ten here. I mean to to counter that, I would say we're probably ahead of Iran in exactly. other that's, subjects. That's what I'm saying. No, that was my point of countering your point of saying it's good for everyone to follow math. I'm saying, well, that's what they do over there. Why isn't it good for the population in the way over there then? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, our education system is good, but it also has a lot of flaws. I think like if you were to look at a a league ranking of education systems throughout throughout the world i reckon that the united kingdom england our education is probably in the top 20 um but i mean if you ask anyone if we ask each other like what do we think of our education system from secondary school level to undergraduate degree we'd probably say that it's shit um Mm. and this is a nice segue actually into something we wanted to talk about and that was what do we think of exams? Are they a good way to assess people or is there another way to assess people that could be more effective? I mean, me personally, from my undergraduate degree, I had to do two exams in history. Um, And those exams were take-home exams because of the coronavirus lockdown. Um, And to be honest... What I didn't like about it, and I think this is probably my overall argument with exams, is that it's the time limit and the pressure of that. So to assess someone for a subject under constraints of a time limit, how are you going to get the best of that individual? Someone could have a wide array of knowledge on a subject. They could be incredible at it. But then you put them under time conditions and they could crumble. Now, of course, that's a skill to learn, right? Exam. Yeah. Take an exam is a skill. Um, and you, you improve at that and you, you should probably put in the effort to get better at doing exams. But as somebody who comes from an essay based subject, it doesn't really make sense to do exams, which I guess is why I had so few of them because for writing, you usually take your time, um, usually draft and redraft. So to, you know, constrain yourself 
into a few hours to put forward this piece of work doesn't really make sense from where I come at it. But I guess perhaps it might be different for you from coming from a maths engineering background. Maybe there is benefit to, you know, working under time constraints. Well, I mean, the issue with one of the things you said was, or one of the issues I have with exams is, yes, you're saying they're trying to assess you on under pressure thing, and but they never really are teaching you how to deal with the pressure. It's just they're teaching you the subject, but they're assessing you on two things. Um, yes, from number number based subjects such as maths, physics, any sort of calculations. I genuinely don't necessarily see a different way to assess someone, but I also don't like, like if I'm an engineer, right, I'm doing, I'm doing an engineering degree. If I'm an engineer and I'm sitting down and I'm doing a job, basically I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing work as an engineer. Yeah. So I'm not studying. I'm an engineer doing some calculations for a column, for example. I don't need to memorize that specific formula. I'll be like, oh, okay, what was the formula to calculate? Like, the bottom third of this column that's one google search away that's one looking at the notes away to get do you know what i mean so why are you assessing me on whether i can remember that formula or not because you're not essentially assessing me on okay do i know the formula you're assessing me on, okay can i remember it for five hours until i do the exam yeah i mean that is again that's a fundamental issue i think with exams and a lot of subjects is that like why do you need to remember them when they're a Google search away. So that's a very good point. But I just wanted to go back to what you said right at the beginning, where they actually, in the way that they teach, they don't actually teach you for exams, right? Yeah. They give you a semester, a module um, of content, and it's at quite a slow pace. You know, you'd have, I remember you have three hour lectures, for example, my partner has three hour lectures. It's, it's incredible. And um, yeah. that's like going at a snail's pace, right? And mm -hmm. yet, at the end of that semester, you're then expected to do exams under extremely tight conditions, uh, time conditions. It just doesn't make sense. There's a big leap there. Um, yeah. Which perhaps maybe we would be better at exams. Maybe exams would work better if you if you had that in between, if you taught people how to approach exams. But then again, how would you do that? Would that be through practice assignments? Because I guess that is what mock exams are in their very essence, right? They yeah. They do prepare you for the exam situation, but at the same time, I don't think a lot of mock exams are compulsory. Um, exactly. Usually the student has to go out their own way to do that, and usually those are the ones who succeed. Um, but I do think it's, I mean, from my standpoint, like I said, coming from a history background and an essay background, I really don't see the point of it because, you know, unless you're like a job that involves writing, like being a newspaper journalist, okay, you're going to be under time constraints. Um, but in general, you're going to be taking your time with your writing. So you don't really need to learn how to write that much information under pressure. And mm -hmm. as a historian, you especially don't need to, because you need to take your time to get the right facts and construct an argument. So exactly. to write a historical essay under the time constraints of, let's say, you know, two or three hours, I don't see the value in that if you are a historian, which is where I would come from. So yeah but back to the point of okay how could you then assess someone not just in universities of course this is as you said a worldwide issue could go down to schools colleges like how would you actually assess someone let's say you're teaching them 
physics what would be what do you think is a good way to assess them okay i thought you this in this topic and that topic how could you show me that how could you show me and present your understandings of the topic because you certainly can't go on the stage and talk for 15 minutes and convince me you understand the topics it's numbers i think broadly to apply to subjects you could assess the body of work over let's say a semester and in that body of work you have different assessments such as if we take physics you have the practical itself right so a case study so to speak and you have your write-up on that you know what you did in the practical and perhaps a presentation and also other stuff you may do if you're working on a physics module let's say in a levels um you might have like a group a group task for example and you're assessed on your communication and how you your knowledge of physics and how you can interpret that for an audience and then that way you can yeah you can demonstrate your knowledge of that subject i think also though that there must be some sort of benefit for exams because they would not be this prevalent if they were not beneficial right so perhaps you don't eliminate exams completely but what you do do is what you said allow more preparation for them teach people how to prepare mm -hmm. for exams but i think a good thing to do would be make it clear to a student you know at the start of the semester that we're not gonna dump your whole grade on these exams right at the end but what we're actually going to do is it's going to be a mix and we're going to assess you on your whole body of work that you do and yeah. hopefully that way the student clocks in straight away at the start of that semester and thinks okay i need to be on my a game from the start i can't just you know slump it for the whole semester until the end and crunch yeah. time so i think yeah i think the whole body of work is probably a better way to assess it and it, and in that whole body of work you have different sorts of assignments that are not just essay uh exam based mm -hmm. yeah i mean to be fair that's how some of my modules are what we do is what they do is um so 100 percent your overall grade they say okay six weeks in we're going to have an in-class test which is 20 percent of your overall grade uh, the in-class test is going to be like 10 to 20 multiple choice questions it's like a 30 minute in-class test um yeah. then like two weeks after that three weeks after that you're going to have a submission for a coursework which is 30 percent of your overall grade um the coursework is just obviously a question or a problem sent to you and you're meant to solve it and send it as a pdf or submit it as a pdf um and then obviously the last 50 percent is the main exam so that's what i think is a good way to try and balance it but that being said i'm still i don't know i just don't think examining is the right way to assess someone of their understanding but then again though that that is a double-edged sword because whatever you look at you'll see that that's how it's done speaking of like uh, sports like they do all this practice they're gonna have to have the match they're gonna have to have that test to know where they're at speaking of driving whatever you can you do all the practice you're gonna have to do the test to know where you're at there's just stuff like that yeah but with the sports analogy it's more gradual it's not a big jump i think fundamentally what are exams well exams are there to test you under pressure and to test your memory. And I think the point that we're saying is that you actually don't really need that strong a memory and you're not always gonna be under pressure. Sure, you are gonna be under pressure and that's where exams help. But like you just said, you found a flaw in the system. If you're an engineer and you're working on something, you can just 
Google that problem, right? Google that specific information that you need rather than having yeah. it in a memory bank. And so in that sense, exams are not always going to work, but they are, I guess, they are a good a good parameter, a good measure of how you perform under pressure um, and how you absorb information. But I mean, like I said right at the beginning, as a history student and as a historian, I just, I don't have any affiliation with them. I have, they have no purpose for me because my writing, okay, it, even under like when you have a week to write an essay, right? 3000 words. Yeah. As a historian, that's still that's still a time crunch. So imagine having to do like 2000 words in three hours. Um, it's just not going to be it actually damages the quality of your work. If it's a shorter amount of time, yeah, because yeah, it's, yeah. it's prone to be less accurate. And mm -hmm. you want to be accurate in that field. So yeah, from my background, I don't really see the point. And if you're gonna, I mean, yeah, let's take like a physicist, for example, would they need to be working constantly under pressure i'm sure they do work under pressure of course but like it's a different type of pressure yeah it is a different type of pressure and you're not going to need to know that much information but then perhaps i think i could see the benefits for a doctor for example mm -hmm. because imagine how much information they need to consume and hold right and so yeah. there being an exam doing exams is beneficial to them and same for a lawyer as well but I don't think it applies to everything. I think yeah. that's I think that's the main point. And so it might be worth, you know, just going over certain subjects, seeing what their assignments are, what their assessments are, and going, okay, you know, in terms of exams, do we actually need this for this subject? Yes or no? Is it going to be beneficial? Like I can tell you for history, it's not. So you can eliminate yeah. it there. Um, but going forward, still like doctors and lawyers and, you know, other people working in the science, yeah. they, they do need it. So, yeah. It's when you said that I was thinking about how there's a lot of problems with universities in terms of, okay, not with the university itself, but is it even worth going to, you know, going to a university? The reason I say this coming from a practical course, uh, this may be different about your course, as you said, but coming from a practical course, um, any type of any info pretty much any info i would need as an engineer i could have and i could find on the internet and the issue with that is i could now i mean now i say this before i go to uni i would not have said, said this but now if i were to be like okay delete like remove everything from my memory that i've learned in the uni tell me to go learn and know as much of an engineer in three years i genuinely could just by going over what's on the internet, what topic to look at, how to have access to it. And one of the things that I also like to mention about that is I was thinking how in the next couple of months I'm meant to be a qualified engineer, right? I was thinking about that and I was also thinking, okay, if I were to get an offer from whatever engineering company, I don't know any certain names, can I actually, and I have like a project in hand, can I actually do it? I, I genuinely can't. And I go and I look at it and it's like, oh, even though you're a graduate, every job you apply to, you'll still have to have to undergo these courses in order to learn how to work as an engineer. Like to me, it's like, okay, well then what's the point of me doing three years at university 
to not know what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah, I 100% get what you're saying. You're saying with the benefit of hindsight, looking back, I could have learned the exact same practical skills by myself. But personally, I will defend universities because I think, I mean, firstly, you've got to take into account you ourselves, you know, as an 18 year old, you don't really know what you're going to do. The world is scary. And it's that natural progression. And nowadays, you're sort of pushed into, you know, going to uni anyway, but it provides you that natural progression and structure. I think it's much different. The education system and level is much different to A-levels and GCSE and other level three courses, for example. And that's a big step up in terms of maturity. And I also think, you know, the social skills and the independence that you get from that. And also, actually, you know, the, the skills that you would have got as an engineer and I got as a historian and how they inform your life. Now, where I also agree with you is you finish your course and you're looking for work in the real world and you're going okay i do have the benefit of having a degree which is very very useful to have you do need it i i feel but you're like well it's not really relevant to this job or that job i sort of i need to retrain and so i guess in that sense you know you could argue yeah you you didn't need to get that degree in the first place because you're coming out of university looking for graduate and entry level roles and they don't mm -hmm. really need any of the skills that you have anyway that you've trained for but at the same time i just feel overall the university experience which is why i defend it is something that is extremely valuable and something that i thoroughly enjoyed and you know i would probably i would like to go back at some point and do a masters i don't know if i would but i i would never you know shy away from that because i did enjoy university experience and it is yeah it's something i will look back at fondly i think well now that i'm looking at it in a way it's not really a chapter i'm willing to close or i really want to close it's like as far as i remember i used to be a student as far as i remember you had to wake up go to school you had to be a student there's this teachers there's this bunch of other students you go back home, that's your life. As far as I, I, I remember, like whether it's primary school, secondary school, college, this was part of my life for as far as I remember. So thinking that in a couple of months, I'm like done with it. Oh, wow, I will never be a student ever again. I will never go into a facility which is meant for education in terms of like as, as a student. That's like kind of sad. I'm like, wow, so is that going to be like a chapter in a chapter that I look back at? So in a way, it's... You know, in a way, it's kind of sad. I'm not going to lie to fully close that door. Uh, but I get one thing, one thing about the university, I like to say, is I was also having this debate with some other people. I don't know if it's something they do for history, but don't you think it's better to be an apprentice than an actual student? Yeah, having now come out the other side, I think the most ideal thing to do when you are 18 or 16 is to get that qualification. So work your way towards it, but being an apprentice and also being on a job placement, because in that sense, yeah, you've got the qualification, you're satisfying that hunger to learn, but you also have that work experience. And so once you've completed that apprenticeship and you know, whether or not you stay in there or you're looking for other jobs, you've got that experience to bring up in interviews and it makes you stand out. 
Whereas I think a problem yeah. with a lot of graduates is, and they've been, and it's not their fault, myself included. You you've been told this your whole life to just go through the education system, and you come out of it and you have no experience, and mm-hmm. then you're you're not in a panic, but you're like, well, what have I done wrong? And you haven't done anything wrong. That's just how the system is. You know, you've done your education, and now it's like go out into the world, but you don't have any yeah. work experience on there, and that is why I feel. I agree with you. I think going forward, probably, and I think this is a big thing in the UK right now. Um, apprenticeships are are the way going forward. I think, I think that's that's probably true, just because it gives you that work experience and that qualification at the same time, which is just most ideal for people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why. Before I go to uni, maybe it just wasn't educated enough about it. But before I go to uni, when I was in college, asking people, I was just looking at being an apprenticeship as it's something bad as if not bad but as if it's like oh you didn't make it so you're doing this instead as if like okay yeah this is like you want to be a student it's like a student want to be 100 i was yeah, looking I at it that you. way yeah but then when you finished it you're like ah that was probably the smart decision because you don't want to exactly. be left out right when you when it gets to the stage to go uni and you know other individuals chose to do apprenticeships and you're like like you said you're like ah you didn't make it and yet mm. when you finish uni and you look at the guy who's done the apprenticeship he's got his qualification and he's been earning money the whole time you're like ah you were probably you've probably done the smart thing there well especially in in a practical course like my one once again like when we have like a project which we have we're meant to like design a building or like calculate the forces or whatever like these apprentices, the way they do it is so clean and professional and how easy they do it. Like we're here like, oh my God, I've never seen this before. How are we meant to do this? And it's like a shed, for example. Yeah. But like, I can't believe how I'm meant to put a column. And these lot that are over there building skyscrapers and they're just like, they close one eye and they just do the pr- process in like 10 minutes and it looks so clean. Um, It's just... And think about it. There's so many benefits. As you said, firstly, you get the experience, which students don't get when they graduate. They're like, okay, well, fuck. What am I meant to do now? Uh, Secondly, you're getting paid as you do it. So you're not paying any university fees. and You're getting paid as you work, I guess. Yeah. And it's it's just so much better. Now, I actually don't know the ways to apply for apprenticeship. Like, if I go back to college, I actually don't even remember how you could even apply for it to be an apprentice but it's it's just i don't know it's just identifying them on you know websites such as linkedin or on the government website and just applying to it like a job application but i think you know a worrying trend that i feel is or could be happening is that now university graduates are looking at doing apprenticeships after uni because they can't get entry-level jobs anyway and it makes sense i mean they're eligible to apply for them and then mm-hmm. what that does is it then dries up, you know, that apprenticeship well for those who are just coming out of their GCSEs or A-levels because you've got all the graduates coming in for those apprentice jobs. And it's no one's fault there. It's just it's so competitive for graduates to get jobs that they're going to have to start looking at apprenticeship jobs. And OK, yes, perhaps they should be earning a bigger salary from a graduate job, but they simply cannot get them, even if you have the good qualifications even if you have a first class degree doesn't guarantee you a graduate job so yeah that that is a potential issue that i feel like 
is happening or could happen in the future where you do have a lot of graduates going for these apprenticeship jobs. And that just shows actually how good, good they are anyway, because, you know, you learn and you earn at the same time. I mean, what's better it's than that? It's just so much better. Like, I don't know why I had a bad view on it when I was in college. Maybe it just wasn't explained to me properly, but it's just, I don't understand. Like, think about it. You're not going to end up owing anyone money. You're going to end up going through all these modules because you've already done something that's 10 times harder or you're doing it as you're doing these modules and you're going to have the experience and you most likely will get hired by the same company you're doing an apprenticeship with anyway if you're a good uh, student or if you're a good uh, good worker for them yeah it's just it's just better now i don't know how it would work for like a like a course that's that's for you like a history based course like can you even be an apprentice uh, apprentice for for history <laughs> well i wouldn't be applying for the history apprenticeship i would be looking at let's say an apprenticeship with the local council so it would be local government mm. and i'd apply for that you know something that isn't isn't specifically skills based like you know engineering so it would be like applying for a management role something like that Right. Okay. And is it something you could do for your master's or is it just a bachelor's? Elaborate. What What do you mean? Well, as far as I know, when you become an apprentice, by the time you finish education, you'll also get a bachelor degree, just like every other individual on that course. I don't believe you do. Um, they do. That's why I'm saying it's better. No, no, I don't believe it's the equivalent of a bachelor's degree bachelor's degree oh. is level six and apprenticeship qualification might be between level three to five two to five and so oh it can't be that no level be... th level three you get before you even go to uni level three is yeah a level b tech and i think apprenticeship is also level three level four the qualification that you're earning yeah. oh wow yeah okay okay so but still though it's, it's controversial if if i were to apply to a company as an engineer with a bachelor degree and the other side my competitor was a level four apprentice they'd know so much more than me like, i know they would they'd know so yeah. much more than me and you would be at the disadvantage because you'd go to interview and you know you'd have you'd have the knowledge that you've been taught through your modules and through your exams and through your projects but i mean what like heavy duty stuff can you bring to the table you can speak about your dissertation but this other individual mm. can can bring up practical projects in the real world that they've actually worked on. And so exactly. I would probably say it's not even a 50-50. It's probably 60-40 to them, even though you have yeah. the higher level of qualification, which you've paid, well, the government's paid £30,000 for. So, yeah, um, apprenticeships are the way forward, I think. But yeah, being an apprentice, uh, apprenticeship student is the one. Wait, you still call them students, right? You don't call them workers. Right. Um, they're they're a student and a worker. Even better. There you go. What I told you, want. you. Even you earn better. and you learn. That's how we do it. Coffee hour stamp of approval. Join See, apprenticeships. But we are we're students of life here at Coffee Hour. See, you were saying how you were. <laughs> you were saying how you were sad that your education is ending, but it's not ending. You're here every week, okay? You get I to talk you. about a variety of topics. You're a student of life. I see, I see what you did there. That's a good point. That is, 
that's a very good point. Even my lecturer is a student, as long as they listen to Coffee Hour podcast, of course. Do they listen to Coffee Hour podcasts? I don't think they do. They don't? And they need to up their game, no. Did you not plug I didn't it? see any of them wear that Coffee Hour merch to the exam room today. <sighs> You're revealing things too early, Asha. Yikes, I can cut it out. <laughs> Shall we move on to... This episode is sort of like a review episode, even though we're 30 minutes in. Um, and I want to talk about... I went to a place called Poor Boys in West London last week. Tell me. And... It's like New Orleans chicken, fried chicken, brought over to London, in West London. And I'm telling you, it's it's just the best chicken that you will have. It's amazing. Okay, so what what kind of chicken are we talking about? Are we talking about, like, chicken tenders, chicken burgers, chicken wings? What we, kind of chicken are we are talking, talking about? about all of the above. We're talking about chicken tenders, popcorn chicken. But we're not just talking about chicken, right? Because Poor Boys has more to offer than that. So we're talking about beef. We're talking about fried crab. We're talking about fried shrimp. Honestly, you need to go there to experience it yourself. I've been there three times now. And this was the first time, actually, that was there was not a queue outside. And I think that was partly because it was minus two. And no one wanted to queue. And also, it was mm. a Thursday lunchtime. But still, a Thursday lunchtime... The shop was completely packed. The food is just incredible. Portion size is massive. And the drinks as well. I got a frozen margarita. So good. Honestly. So you got everything you just mentioned. I did not get... that what they do? That is what they do. I did not get everything that I just mentioned. I got... So me and my partner went there and we got chicken tenders because you can't go mm. wrong with them. I mean... Course, they are yeah. just incredible and the sauces Classic. as well we'll get onto the sauces yeah. but chicken tenders popcorn chicken and cajun fries so good uh those are good those are good those you can't go wrong with so wait did you travel at least an hour and a half just for that yes <laughs> i would fair do it play again to you. fair play to well you've done it multiple times haven't you I've done it three times, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to oh do it again God. in the future because it's my favorite chicken place to go. And to well, be honest, chicken is mm -hmm. not even the best thing they do. Their beef brisket okay. is off the scale. Uh, okay, well, next time I will come with you. We can go together next time. Let's do it. And I will, I will, I will give a review on it. However, speaking of chicken, go on. I would like to bring this up again. Now, this may be on a different level in terms of when you put it on the scale. For example, you can't really compare a Burger King burger to five guys. One is like a five pound burger. One is like a 15 pound burger. Uh -huh. So I don't really know where Poor Boys is sitting at in terms of the pricing. But uh -huh. I'd like to mention, um, I forgot the name of it, Popeyes. That's the one. I'm Louisiana chicken. It is so good. I'm just saying, okay, we're, we're talking about different levels here. I need to okay. try Popeyes, but Popeyes mm -hmm. is a fast food chain. Poor Boys is a restaurant. So we got a okay. difference there. Okay. So that's the, that's the scale difference. But 
I'm actually, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna weigh in on this debate because I haven't tried Popeyes yet. So I can't say, I can't say which is better, but I'm just telling you from my experience, the best chicken, the best fried chicken that I've had is from Poor Boys. But like I said, it's, it's not even the best thing they do. Beef brisket, beef brisket donuts, which are incredible. You've got to be yeah. there to believe it. Do you understand yeah, what if, I'm saying? If if you got some, if you even got one third of the things you just said, how much money did you end up spending there? I mean, last week I only spent forty pounds, but the last few times we went, we had bigger groups, and so we got the we got the meat platter to share. So we had yeah. everything, and you have leftovers. Oh and the thing about poor boys is, whenever we go, whoever comes with us. We always make sure, you know, to skip breakfast. Someone who usually comes doesn't eat the day before just to, so that they can eat as much as they can when they get there the next day. Because the food mm. is that good. You just want to you want to eat it all. And there's so much of it. So okay, I highly yeah, recommend going. Level, then. Now, I is. would go. I would genuinely go. I would go because I am on the I am trying to find the best chicken around. Uh-huh. I'd say so far it's Popeye's, but. Popeye's definitely better than Nando's. Nando's is overrated, I think. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this this sounds interesting. It gives me Honest Burger vibes. It gives me that sort of restaurant slash fast food place. Well, let's, over the next few months, let's get everyone together and let's go. Okay. Yeah, that could be done. Yeah, and that definitely could be done. What we'll do is we'll get we'll get one meal each and then we'll get the big platter to share and everyone can just share that as well because we won't finish it all as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, so one meal each, one big platter. Okay. And that yeah, will that work out done. at, if everyone gets a drink, like 25, 30 pounds each. That's pretty good to be fair. It's just getting there that's long. But then again, though, if I drive, it'll probably be like 35 minutes. Well, yeah, getting there, you need to go to Waterloo Station, then you need to get the overground to Kingston so yeah it takes a while but it's okay but that is dedication though to travel nearly three hours there and back just to get the food that's dedication what even made you go there in the first place well credit needs to be given to two people Mm -hmm. both names start with d the first is dat and the second is driv who both come from west london they recommended poor boys and they enticed me to go there for the first time last year. And ever since, it's been a love affair that I can't shake. And that is why I've been back there three times. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Actually, I remember you were talking about it last year, I think. So I, I don't remember the name. But now that now that you said that, I remember you saying you went to a chicken place last year. And it was really, really good. After we do this podcast go on that Instagram and just have a look at some of their photos and their reels because it's just, yeah. Yeah, okay, in comparison to, I don't exactly remember where we went, but it was in 02, it was the Joe Rogan comedy show. Oh uh, yeah, that, far better. Chicken tenders. Far Is better, it? yeah. Okay, do you ever remember where we went? I, I do, I, I recognise it in my head, I don't remember what it's called. I was just yeah, thinking same, though yeah. when you brought that up, I want to go back to the O2. Yeah, all to is cool. Could you just walk in, like, as in just walk into the arena? Yeah, you, yeah, you can because it's a shopping and food center as well. Yeah, that's why I'm asking. It's like so it doesn't have to be a proper event for you to just go in. So you can go 
I guess you go around the O2, the the arena bit you can't go into, right? There's massive doors. There are yeah, two sets true. of massive like glass doors. You can go through the first one and then you've got, you know, all your shops and restaurants in like a big circle. But the second one where the arena is, you can't go in there unless you have a ticket. Oh, okay, yeah, that does make sense to be fair. Um yeah. regarding one of our next topics that I wanted to bring up it's about you saying you want to get a license and we all know you've done your theory test. Yes. Uh, are you looking forward to it? I, I said, my, my, my mum asked me and I, she said, are you looking forward to it? And I said, not really, but I'll do it. And she was like, that's a stupid answer. Cause you're going to love it. Cause it's just fun to drive. So I'm going to change my answer and go, of course, absolutely. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. The thing is, I just, I know it's a practical skill to have, and that's why mm -hmm. I'm doing it. I just have no interest. But then again, maybe I will become one of these car freaks once I start. Maybe I'll love it. So who knows? To be fair, I somewhat disagree with it being fun. I really okay. dislike driving myself. Like, I genuinely dislike driving. I genuinely dislike the concept of liking cars, the concept of, okay, I'm so happy to sit down and drive. I don't get that. Like, I do not understand that concept. Why uh, do you Why do you dislike the act of driving in the first place? I find it boring. I'll, I'll tell you why. There's two options. Going from here to, let's say, West London, as you mentioned, right? Yeah. Now, I could either sit down, drive, in the traffic, paying attention to all these other road users, people cutting each other off, stopping, going, stopping, going, whilst my full focus is on that. Or let's say I'm in a passenger seat, I'm on a bus, I'm on a train, and I could be on my phone. I could be entertained, do you know what I mean? Rather than having to focus on, okay, like the road rage, this, that, people cutting each other off, uh, not hitting anyone, not accidentally killing anyone. Not doing anything my, wrong because yeah. My diagnosis is from what you've said that you are addicted to social media. No, 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 not even that. It's just a case of you'll know what I mean. Like when you're okay, let's say you travel to your partner, right? So we know your partner is a bit far, you travel a little bit, thirty minutes, yeah. an hour. What do you do during that one hour? That you're traveling? I usually I usually just listen to a podcast and daydream. Okay, see, you listen to a podcast, you pay attention, you daydream. Now, if you're driving, you're going to have to put the attention into all these other road users who some may be dumb, some may be stupid, some may be really slow, some may be really fast, some may cut you off. It's just a case of, yes, it, so it's, it's not necessarily something that's fun to do. Like, I understand where if you're sitting in like a supercar that goes like 0 to 60 in like two seconds, it's fun. Yeah, surely it's fun to go that yeah. fast in like two seconds. Um, but if you're just driving in a city where there's so many restrictions in terms of like you have to really be short because anything you do could go wrong. You go to the wrong lane, you get a ticket. You speed up, you get a ticket. You go on your phone, you get a ticket. You park in the wrong place, you get a ticket. Everything you do, you get a ticket. Uh, it's a case of, well, everything you do wrong. Um, it's a case of, Yes, it's so much easier, but I don't find it fun necessarily either. 
you're not selling this driving thing very well, are you? <laughs> no, I'm now... not enthused to do. I wasn't enthused to do it anyway, and now I'm even more so. Like, no. yes, this confirms all my suspicions. Now, hear me out. Even though I say all of this, I could not go a day without having a car. Now, there's a lot of things with having a car. It just changes your life. It's just different. Not in terms of, oh, it makes it. It's just you're a different person when you have a car. In what way? In any way you could possibly imagine. It's like, okay, now I have to go all the way. Then I have to get ready. I have to sit down. I have to do this. No, you just put something on. You get in the car. You drive there. You're there. Do you know what I mean? Okay, the driving itself, I don't find it fun. You may find it fun. You don't know. That's something you, you'll find out when you start driving. But yeah. it's so much easier. Like, do a, th- a train or a bus may take you 30, 40 minutes for a journey where you have to still do a five-minute walk uphill, downhill, when it's rainy, windy, cold, boiling. Whereas same journey is going to be 15 minutes in a car. You get in at your door. You get off at the other door. It's going to be your desired temperature the whole way. Like, it's so much easier. Like You save so much time on the long run. Which is but, why I'm doing it, because of those practical benefits. It's just ease of access to things, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd say that's pretty... For me, that's the only thing. I would genuinely go to places with a bike, or a, literally a bicycle, if the temperature is good. If we have a proper bicycle lane, for example, everywhere. I would genuinely uh, go everywhere with a bicycle. Also... It's another expense. You could use that money for other things. Exactly. But you also have to remember that if you are, okay, if you're a person who goes a lot, who goes out a lot, then you'll probably pay that on buses and tubes anyway. True. But anyway, I mean, I guess the moral of the story is I'm doing it anyway. So I see the practical benefits outweighing the negatives. But... I'm not I'm not enthusiastic about enthusiastic about it in the first place and now I'm even more so less enthusiastic about it because well, of what you have said. I mean to be fair though sometimes it's really fun like when we drive to places like when we're in with the boys and we're sitting we're listening to music we're talking that's genuinely fun like you'd rather be in a car where it's just private it's all you rather than being on a train or a bus. Do you know what I mean? You'd rather that for sure. Um one thing is though are you going to be doing it manual or automatic i will be doing it manual oh are you actually i am uh yeah you may not find it fun then (laughs) even harder the full skill set why are you doing it manual just to know it just to have that in the locker um when do you think it would be useful you never know, Arsha. Maybe Give me like a scenario where having a manual license is use is more useful than an automatic license. Maybe Great Britain has succumbed to an apocalypse and you find yourself like Joel in The Last of Us with a girl called Ellie. And you need to get from London to Newcastle. And you find some fuel and you find a car that works, but it's a manual. And in that situation, you will need to know how to drive the manual. That's your selling point on why manual is better than automatic. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic Great Britain. No, but genuinely, what's your reason for learning manual over 
automatic. Well, let's break it down, right? Um, automatic, I assume, is easier to drive. And I assume that more cars are automatic or moving towards that, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it would be like, well, why would you not just learn automatic? Because you have no reason to know a manual. But let's say that manual cars are cheaper to buy in the first place. It's like a first car, right? Yeah. And also, let's say, again, just having the skill could be useful to know. So I think it's those two arguments. I don't even know if I'm going to be getting a car straight away anyway. I'll just have the test done. Um, I might get insured on my parents' car and, you know, drive that around for a bit and then maybe get a car. But, um, yeah, I think it's just initially it will be cheaper to get a first car that's manual and also just to have the skill of driving one. I somewhat disagree with the first car being manuals cheaper. I'll tell you why. Go on. Yes, it is. If you find the exact same model, like if you find a 2015 Vauxhall Corsa, right? Same mileage, same um, same trim, everything is the same. Yes, yeah. you'll probably end up saving around £2,000 on the manual one than you would on the automatic one. However, you could always get the 2013 one for the same price in automatic. Also, this is one thing I'd like to say. A lot of people say having a first car is for you to get the experience and it's not necessarily for you to, okay, settle down with it and be like, okay, this is the car I'm going to be driving this, this and that. And now, you know, they say, okay, having the first car is like getting the hang of it. Yeah. The issue with that is how the insurance system works is if you have one crash within the first year or two, whether it's your fault or it's not your fault, the amount of extra money you're going to be paying on your insurance is going to overtake that one or two extra thousand pounds that you are going to pay for an automatic anyway. Yeah. And driving a manual around city is just so much more stressful for a new driver than driving an automatic. This links back to where we started with exams and being put under those exactly. periods of pressure and stress and how actually... Yeah. By having that experience and the lessons of driving a manual and that stress, mm-hmm. I will perform better on the road. What do you think about that? So under stress, you'll perform better? Because I have already been in those situations of stress during the lessons, driving a manual, that when it comes to driving in London with a manual, I will be more prepared. I'll be more alert because I understand I have a bigger capacity to cope with stress and those stressful situations. And therefore, here is another example why learning under manual is better than learning under automatic. It's not just the stress management, though. It's a matter of can you genuinely multitask? Because when you're driving as a new driver, you look down for one second. Are you actually aware where your car is going, where the head of your car is, where the back of your car is? Because if you tap someone, you're fucked. I'm about to find out is what I'll say to that. (laughs) But I wouldn't want to be on the opposite side of the road or even in front of me when I'm on Mm. the road. So good luck to them. No, you'd be... uh, I think you'd be a good driver, to be fair. I think, right. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's not interesting in driving, I probably 
my approach would be okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna work hard to learn the basics and and the necessary you know rules of the road and so i probably would be i'd be in a i'd be a decent driver i think yeah i but... think it'd be good let's actually debate this out of every driver i know yes. i like to dominate my uh, nominate myself as the best driver number one who would okay. you put second well you wouldn't be my number one <laughs> um not i don't think you're a bad driver i think you can uh... be quite hot-headed um Nate? on the road nah. i think you can be no i wouldn't say reckless yeah, but i would never. say re- i would actually say relaxed and some people would say being relaxed is reckless i my number one would actually be tolga but here is the thing and this is something i believe we talked about many, uh, a lot of times mm-hmm. being a smooth driver mean you're a good driver as a passenger yeah it's great yeah but we're talking who's the best driver if we were to put skill skill pound for pound on the list skill okay I, skill. yeah i would say tolga and then <laughs> second <laughs> that's not the answer you wanted and then second i would say my brother joe it's very they they have different styles of driving but it, it would be close for number 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 one but i do think yeah i think joe and tolga they are both really two. into cars, to be fair. So they are, and Joe's different as well. Joe likes a good zoom, so he will go off really fast. Okay. But okay. They, so they have different types of driving, but Joe's very good at driving. Okay, but that's what I mean. Though, what do you take into consideration when you say this person is a good driver? Just how you feel as a passenger? Um. Yeah. Whether or not I feel like I'm going to die in the car, really. <laughs> Have you ever good, felt like we're gonna die when you were in a car parameter. with me? Well, I mean, there were there were situations where it was out of our control. Really, we were in God's hands. Um, <laughs> I mean, a less extreme one was like when there was a deer on the side of the motorway. Who knows what could have happened there? You know, exactly. it was out of your control. Um, exactly. You're in my top five. There you Actually, go. I disagree. I think it's in my control. Oh God. Okay. I think it's a it's in a good driver's control to know everything that happened yes it's possible for the deer to want to jump in front of your car however and that's out of your control whether the deer wants to jump in front of your car or not however yes as a good driver you could see the deer in advance you could be like okay well it's possible for that deer to jump in front of my car so before i'm close to it i'll just go to the middle lane do you know what i mean but... So yes, it is somewhat out of your control for the deer to jump in. But if the deer decides to jump in, they'll get deleted by the first left lane anyway. So if you're not there, there's no impact on you. Are we taking into account the speed of the deer? No. There we go. But that's my point, though. They are not going to get to the middle or right lane without getting absolutely smashed. Oh yeah, the deer is fucked anyway, and fuck That's the what deer I'm saying. because the, so, the deer is trying to fuck us over. But yeah. so do you I know what I mean? Even if you have a great driver in that situation, I still, I still think you know it's it's out of your control. I think it's I think it's based on predictions because it's not just deers. It's like okay, if you're driving in a straight line, the car next to you decides to randomly come and hit you on the side. 
are you a bad driver? No, that's out of your control. He just decided to crash into you. However, if you drive in a way you assume anyone that's around you is going to crash into you, you'd place yourself in a position where by the time they decide to come at you to crash into, you'll see them and you'll react. Once if this situation happens, but it's a really busy motorway. That's out of your control. Anyway, I'd still say it's in your control because as a driver, you'd and this is something you'd know, uh, in a couple months or years probably when you drive just by looking at certain cars or looking at certain drivers even if they're stationary just by looking at certain cars and certain drivers you can predict their style of driving is this going to be a type of person who randomly cuts me off without an indicator and changes lane well yeah what what are the go two miles per hour what are the different parameters if you have to label three different styles of driving what would you say i would say we one, just want we just want one word okay if you can one reckless okay one slow one okay. stupid okay now i could elaborate on it if you want but yeah i mean yeah let's let's break it down what is a stupid driver okay a stupid driver no discrimination here could be men could be a woman <laughs> But a stupid driver. <laughs> a stupid driver is someone who thinks they're doing the right thing. However, they aren't necessarily necessarily doing the right thing. Now I'll give okay. you an example. Please do. In a roundabout, I think you'd already know this from your theory. Who has the right? The right of way? Yeah. Well, I assume whoever's on the roundabout, no? Yeah, it's whoever's on the roundabout and whoever's on your right side. So if there's a car coming from your right side, you have to wait for that car to go, and then you can go. Okay, yeah. there was a case where I I was in the roundabout, but the person... uh, Oh, sorry, this person entered the roundabout from my right. I was about to enter the roundabout. This person entered the roundabout from my right. Uh They thought they're doing something nice, by emergency braking and flashing their headlights as in they give in me way. Yeah. But the issue there is you shouldn't be giving me way. There's cars behind you that by yeah. you braking, they're not going to predict that they're going to hit you. And yeah. I'm not meant to go. It's your way. Yes, they're trying to be nice, but it's just stupid. Like, why would you give way? Um, I understand they're trying to be nice. But once again, now that certain individual happened to be a female uh-huh. however this and this is actually true you'll see a lot of men do that but in a different way they'll try to be a bit more reckless but uh-huh. it's just like that to me is an example of a stupid driver where yes you are giving me way but just by you giving me way you almost caused four crashes so yeah they didn't really obey the rules of the road yeah and that it's- was stupidity yeah, it's so, like, like the rules. It's a lot of times like, yeah, sometimes it's a rule. Sometimes it's a matter of they're trying to be first. They're trying to be like, yeah, like, yeah it's that. That's a stupid driver. Let's go on to a reckless driver. Okay. A reckless driver would be a type of person who, let's say you're both driving on a motorway. That's your left. You're in the middle lane. Uh, they're side by side and they randomly speed up and they come 
uh, cut you off without an indicator. Yeah. And in a way where it makes you break. If it doesn't make you break, fine. That's absolutely fine. If it makes you break or if it makes you look to the side and look back and they're right in front of you, that's a reckless driver. Whether that's in a motorway, whether that's in, oh, like in a roundabout last minute, they want to take the exit. So they just last minute, they just go all the way from the right lane to the left lane. Yeah. That's a reckless driver. I don't Um, really say speeding is being reckless because speeding, as long as it doesn't affect anyone, I wouldn't call it reckless. Well, we approve here of driving within the speed limit. That's our position. And so what is a slow driver like? Okay. A slow driver is exactly what you just said, driving within speed limits. However, as it's illegal for you to go over the speed limit and it's illegal, it's also illegal for you to go much, much under the speed limit. Now, what I mean by that is, there may be a case where you're in a motorway with this traffic, so you're going five miles an hour, you stop, and the car in front the car in front of the one in front of you goes and there's like a distance for like ten cars and this guy in front of you is just going like two miles per hour. Like there's gonna yeah. be ten cars in front by the time the car can fill the gap. So you'll stay at the same place you are. Or there's a lot of times where there's like one lane, there's only one lane, it's like thirty miles per hour, the car in front of you is going twelve. I remember watching an episode of a show called Traffic Cops and they were on a motorway and mm-hmm. it had an elderly person driving in the left lane. And I believe yeah. it was, you know, 70 miles an hour, right? But this elderly person was driving at 30. And so they had to, you know, take them over and say, you can't be doing that. So I understand what you mean there. Yeah, I mean, it's like the case of, even with that one, it's not necessarily just the elderly. It's also a lot of people who get their license new, which is understandable. I mean, they're trying to really be on point with the speed. Yeah. Uh, but like, honestly, when you drive for long, you'll just see people just going double the speed limit over the camera. Like, they just don't care. They just get to a point where they don't care. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. You you sort of get a feel for it and used to it, I suppose. So, yeah, it makes sense. Well, anyway, I'm still not that excited about learning to drive, but I will give it my all. And hopefully it won't take me years or decades to pass. Well, I don't know how the booking is because during the COVID lockdowns, it was actually really difficult to even get a test in the first place. I believe it's still the same. No way. I would probably be doing my test either at the end of this year or next year, which means I also have to redo the theory, which is okay. The theory. No, no, no. If you if you start your driving lessons, you can get an extension. Can you? Yeah. Okay, well, there so you if go. If you have a date booked before uh, your I see. thing ends, then you can get an extension. Well, that will save me some trouble. So that's very yeah. good. But even still, the theory is not the most difficult thing to do on the planet. And um, anyway, my partner's doing it tomorrow. She's doing her theory test tomorrow. So, Oh, is she? Best of luck to her. Yeah, good luck to her. And is she trying to get the license straight after or she's just chilling? Um. I'm not sure. I think she would like to, but I think right now the priority is just to get the theory done. Mm. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, theory one is like, then again, though, it's the case of the test being so far off reality. No one, if you take 90% of the drivers who drive for years, you put them back in the test, they'll all fail the test. This is what I was saying to her yesterday, because she was, she was reading me a practice question and we got to the answer and I was like, 
No one does that in real life. That is not Do you how it goes. remember what the question was? I have no idea, but it was probably like 90% of the questions that are on the test. I was like, no one does that, okay? Literally. And she was like, I know, but that is the answer. And that's a theory, but it gets so much worse when you actually have to do the test. Like when you actually have to do the test, it gets so much worse because you have to do all these extra elements. I mean, I understand they're there for safety and they're there to ensure both the driver and the road users are as yeah. safe as possible. Like I understand it, but who actually does that? Like if we were to put, if we were to take all the existing drivers and make them do all these steps that they don't do would the roads be safer probably <laughs> See, it, it probably would if every if every single person followed every single rule it would probably be safer i think i can make that assumption yeah yeah definitely it's just the terms of now it's just killing the point of having a car because they're like, okay, you get in a car and this is something you'll see. You get in a car before you take off or before you start, basically, take off. Uh, you're meant to look around. You're meant to look at the back window, the blind spot. You're meant to look at your back, look in, look in front, look to the left, look to the right, look around, look behind you. Like, champ, by the time you do that, I, I arrived. I'm there. I'm walking and I'm already there. That's what I'm saying. Like, by the time you just start the car, I'm there. See you later. But obviously, it's 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 safer. But then again, though, that kills the purpose because you're meant to check the left blind spot and then you're meant to check the right blind spot. And that takes you, like, five minutes because of how many things you're meant to check. Now, by the time you check the right blind spot, the last time you checked your left blind spot was, like, a minute ago. And then what happens is someone who hasn't done that just crashes into the back of you and it, it means nothing. You've just wasted your time for no reason and now someone's crashed into you. Exactly. I am telling you. Well. You put a driving course on the internet. I'm not sure about that one. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to the Oscar nominations, which were this week. I just yes, briefly want to go over the five films that got the most nominations and what we think. If we can sort of predict, we start, predict the race. Before we start, did anyone get slapped? Well, you could argue that Leonardo DiCaprio got slapped because he was not nominated for Best Actor. I see what you did there. But in my opinion, so that in a way is a snub. But in my opinion, Leonardo DiCaprio in the film Killers of the Flower Moon had a really great performance. The issue was the character was so vile and horrible that I think it just turned people off from nominating him. But mm. you could argue he did get that bitch slap by not getting in there. I see. I get you. So you just say the character was not appealing, therefore... Oh, you, yeah. I mean, that I found that film to be really bleak. I saw it on the weekend. And it's basically about genocide against native americans and how it was orchestrated by individuals such as his character and he's just a really horrible person the character that he's playing so i think that just put people off anyway mm. let's get into the top five nominated films so the first one no surprise here oppenheimer 13 nominations in second place a film called poor things with 11 nominations in third place Killers of the Flower Moon that I just brought up with 10 nominations. In fourth place, Barbie with eight nominations. And in seventh, 
and in fifth place, sorry, Maestro with seven nominations. So, mm. what do you think? So, what poor things is that the black and white one? No, Maestro is the one that is partly in black and white, and Poor Things is sort of like a feminist take on Frankenstein, really. Oh, oh, fair it's, enough. It's meant to be very funny. I haven't seen it yet. Um, and overall, the reviews for it have been amazing. So that is one to look out for. But I think, I mean, Oppenheimer been singing its praises throughout the podcast. Very happy to see it at the top of that list. I think it will probably win the top prize. Um, and in my opinion, it deserves it. Mm-hmm. I think Killers of the Flower Moon, a, a good film. I think an important film for what it shows. So it talks about the genocide of the Osage in America. The Osage are Native Americans. Um, but in my opinion, it was just very bleak. And so I didn't enjoy it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? When you, when yeah, you watch a film that is so in a way depressing um it sort of saps the enjoyment from you yeah i think barbie i knew it was going to get a lot of nominations because it's you know picking them up in the song category and you know like costuming which i think it deserves i think best picture nomination it did deserve there's a lot of there's a lot of outcry about it not getting a best director nomination which i was thinking okay it's really well directed absolutely but I think there are just there are better films, and you can't just nominate it because it has a female director. Do you know mm. what I mean? I, a lot of people online, on X, are getting quite heated about that, and I I feel I feel in two places because it it was the biggest film of last year in terms of box office numbers. So clearly, you want to recognize that. But I think there've just there have been other other films that have been better. Like there was. There's a film called Past Lives, also directed by a woman called Celine Song, and she didn't get in Best Director. And I've seen Barbie and I've seen Past Lives, and I think that Celine Song did a better job than Greta Gerwig. Oh, you finally watched Barbie? I have watched it, yeah. Oh, you're a machine. What did you think of it? I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. Uh, I I enjoyed it, but I, I wasn't wowed by it. Do you know what I mean? I thought, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's a good film, but it's not all this and it's not all that. I can see why some people have been annoyed about it. I don't think it's as big as the conversation that started is as big as people really think it is. I just thought, yeah, it's okay. Um, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Honestly, I had an issue with the message the film was trying to deliver. Well, okay, let's get into that. So what message do you think it's trying to deliver? Okay. The message it's trying to deliver is actually right. Yeah. So it's saying that it doesn't matter if you're a guy, it doesn't matter if you're a girl, we're human. We have the yeah. same right, the law applies to everyone. Sounds good. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. However, the movie starts somewhat of a spoiler alert. The movie starts with all these women being in power of Barbie lands, whatever that land is called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these Kens, which are the men, they're all homeless. They don't have any power. They're just, they're there Except to. Beach. Yeah, exactly. Abs. Um, that's, their, that's their job. To that's have their abs. job. Literally, exactly. And then they're like, okay, well, we have nothing. They have everything. Why don't we deserve some of it? We, we deserve some of it. Why don't we get some of it? 
Yeah. And it gets to a point where they then try to get some of the stuff. They get some of their stuff. Now, all of a sudden, all the females are like, well, what happened to equality? What happened to our female rights? And the moments they get everything back and all the Kens are homeless again, they're like, this is true. This is correct. Equality. Like, come on. How is that equality? Yeah. And like, yeah, so the Kens have nothing. I, I guess it's at the start of the film, it's what it's trying to say is it's trying to flip what they think our society is like now, where it's patriarchy led. And so that society in Barbie world is world is matriarchy led. But then Ken comes to the real world. He learns about the patriarchy. He brings it back to Barbie land and he turns it into a patriarchy. And I guess the thing, the point is, you know, some of the Barbies actually enjoy it more. They're like, we don't want to go back to normal. Hmm. But then the main Barbie comes back and she comes with some people from the real world and they, they turn it back to a matriarchy. And then the Kens are given some power, but like a little bit of power. And they're like, this is so much better. And I didn't really get like, what's the message there? Because like you said, how is that a quality? Um, yeah. yeah. That one was a controversial one. I think the fair play to the, to the casting, there was actually very good casting. I think and the visuals were quite nice. Yeah, visuals were good. Casting is good. I think the screenplay is good because, I mean, what all it did was it it took this this plastic doll and it made that film. So the screenplay is good. I like the screenplay. And I think the direction was good. Having someone to bring all of that together in a coherent way was good. I just didn't love it as much as mm. other people did. Um, mm. But I knew it was going to get a lot of nominations because the music's good costume production design's all good so fair play to it another one on this list maestro i saw that and it's on netflix right now with bradley cooper and like killers of the flower moon i just found it a little bit depressing i thought it's a well-made film but just not for me mm. and so you've seen every every film that's under oscar nominations this year i have not because for example i have not seen poor things which i still need to see and there's a few others that I believe are not out in the UK or just came out in the UK. But I will get around to watching them because I think it's quite a strong year. So besides from Oppenheimer, which one was your favourite? Killers of the Flower Moon? No, I would say Past Lives, which did get a Best Picture nomination. Um, yeah, I would say that. And there was also another film made by a British director called Jonathan Glazer called The Zone of Interest. And it's a drama, but also like a horror. It's about the Holocaust. And it's about the family of a Nazi officer or superintendent who live right next door to Auschwitz, mm. but you never see the concentration camp. So it's a drama about their life, the German, the Nazis, and in the background and stuff. They'll, they'll, let's say they're having like afternoon tea or something. And in the background, you'll just hear the screaming of people in the concentration camps, or you'll see the smoke from the gas chambers. And it's a really disturbing film that I do want to see. And I think it's got amazing reviews so whenever that comes out i'll be trying to when make sure to watch that i'm not sure when it's out i'm i assume it will be out at the end of this month or in february but the film is that called the zone of interest it's a holocaust film so it's quite a heavy subject but it takes a really interesting take on it by focusing mm. on the nazis and a specific nazi family right outside a concentration camp and you never see the concentration camp itself 
Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. That does I sound think, interesting, to be fair. Yeah, I think that's just a really smart way of approaching that sort of film. Because it, you, then you realize the horror even more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If that's the outside, then you're like, like it fucks happening on the inside. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were going to do a, a, a review of Reacher Season 2. But mm-hmm. you have not watched the finale yet, so I feel like we should probably save that for next week's episode. Okay, but 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 how would you rate it? Does it disappoint? Here's what I think. I think no, it does not disappoint. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna give a really brief review here. I think it manages to keep the same tone of season one, but it also expands the character's repertoire whilst also developing him Mm. and i think in that sense it succeeds in being exactly what it wants to be and that is why it's a triumph that is why it's so good so i would say to answer your question it does not disappoint it's a good finale and i was happy with where it left okay okay fair enough Yeah, yeah i'll watch it i'll probably finish it tonight well it's only 40 45 minutes long so not oh, a long one at all yeah one. no oh. it's not that's somewhat disappointing <sighs> yes and no and I, I was actually thinking about to do with reacher but not not the story itself like why do they release it around this time of year i was watching it and i was like wouldn't this be so much better to release this over the summer mm. i don't know that's an interesting question to think about i don't know if you have any take on that uh, well, I believe the concept was we're going to release it on the during the Christmas holiday, and a lot of people are going to be at home. They'll be going to watch yeah. it. But I, like the fact that it's one episode a week is just going to kill the concept of okay, it's the Christmas holiday because I myself was watching it during Christmas, but then I had my exams, and I'm like, okay, well, I can't really watch it now. I I guess yeah, the concept is that everyone's at home, but also everyone's also busy over Christmas, and my thoughts mm. were just like. Summer for TV is usually quite a quiet time, so you could sort of just dominate that that slate of time if you're releasing something as big as Reacher during that period. Um, but yeah, that was just That's something true. I was thinking about when I finished it. But don't, I was yeah. satisfied. I was satisfied. Don't they have the boys coming out this summer? Amazon, I mean. Uh, they might, actually. That's true. But Yeah, I think they've got that scheduled for this summer, which is, I think, a healthy, healthy competition. Yeah, yeah, I th- I think this is better than The Boys when it comes to Amazon Prime shows. I think Jack Reacher is better, or just Reacher. As, as someone who has watched the spin-off for The Boys, do mm-hmm. I need to see it before season four? Um, no. Okay. No, not at all. But, but spin-off is very good. Better yeah, than what... season three, probably. Oh, okay. That's what I was going to ask. Is it worth watching? Yeah, spinoff is very good. It's not necessarily related to the actual main story, though. Not, okay. not really. Like, yes, you may have one or two extra piece of information. Like, it's more like Easter eggs. They'd be like, "Oh, that's cool." Yeah. But it's like that. That's it. It's nothing that's going to change the outcome of the season four. Like, you're not going to miss any part for that. Or does five, it? Does it keep the same tone as the main show? In terms of violence. Yeah, yeah. In terms of like the way it feels when you're watching it. Um, yes, less politics involved. Oh, I like the politics stuff. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, the, but it's like, 
it's a, it, there is politics but it's like different types of politics it's like within teenagers rather than with yeah. these heads of like secretaries and stuff like that yeah because it's younger characters aren't they yeah yeah exactly so it's like this politics but on a smaller scale and in a less significant department yeah okay well but it's good though well before we wrap up i mean i don't know if you've seen anything lately but if you have what have you been watching lately honestly i've not been watching anything but i've seen that you want to talk about the last of us and that's the game have you finished yeah. it yet well i finished the main story and very briefly i just wanted to say in terms of like a short review um it's probably the best story game that i have played and that is okay. compared to you know ghost of tsushima spider-man miles morales Far Cry 6, I mean, that, it's not really in the conversation, but it's there anyway. Star Have Wars. Have you played Uncharted 4? I haven't, no. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, just like certain set-piece moments of this story, like the emotional beats of it, are just incredible. Um, they work so well in the show, and they work just as well in the game. And also, mm -hmm. it's like, it's quite a lean game. Its main story takes about 14 hours to do. And I was looking okay. around for like collectibles and stuff. So I reckon you could do it in like 10 to 12 hours. So you yeah. you go through a lot of moments in quite a short period of time, but it is a really memorable story. It's a really good story. And that's why I was okay, you know, going from the show to then playing the game. I've now experienced it twice, the same story. And I could still see myself going back to it again. And I've also, I've got to now play the DLC, which is, it's basically that episode in the TV show where they go to a mall and it's Ellie and one of her friends. Um, oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's the DLC. So I got to play that. I'm about an hour in already. But it's just an amazing game, I have to say. And it's gorgeous to look at. Like visually, I know Ghost of Tsushima is amazing, but The Last of Us Part 1 on PS5 looks incredible. Remastered version, right? No, this is a remake. So there's a difference, man. Oh. So a remaster would be porting it from, let's say, PS4 to PS5 and then making some changes, whereas a remake is building it from the ground up. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. So this is a proper new one. Yeah, and they just released The Last of Us Part Two Remastered, which already looks amazing, by the way, but this one looks slightly better, even though it came out a year before Part Two, because it's a remake. Okay. So the Part Two doesn't have a remake, then? No, the part two's a remaster. So it it's a graphical it's it's a little it's a little leap in terms of graphics and it has like other features of course, but yeah. That's a remaster part two and part one's a remake. Okay, okay, fair enough. No, I know it's really good though. In terms of short games, I think the best short game I've ever played was Uncharted Four. That game's unbelievable. I do recommend you play that game. I think you'd love it. I was well they're both Naughty Dog, so they're both made by Naughty Dog. And I was looking at the, I think it's called Legacy of Thieves collection. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That is, it's not that expensive, I think. It's maybe £20 and you get Uncharted 4 and I think you get a DLC for it as well. So yeah. I might get that because I do like their games. Yeah, Uncharted 4 is unbelievable. It's like, it's very short. I think it's like 10 hour gameplay, but it's, yeah. it's really good. It's as short as The Last of Us. I was definitely considering it. And I still am. So I will keep you updated on that one. Absolutely. All right. Should we wrap this up? Let's do this. I have been your host, William Code. 
I'm your host, Arshia. And thank you for listening to Coffee Hour. See you on the next one. Take care.